Here we are, Scott. Appreciate you coming down, bro. <laughs> Likewise, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Welcome to Miami. <laughs> yeah. We are in Miami, and I got the Miami outfit on. We are rocking and rolling, yeah, You're dude. peak Miami right now. Uh, I don't even think I have anything that Miami. Yeah. I just got linen shirts. I didn't. I don't even know what that's made of. Is that like a I, light cotton? Or? <laughs> oh, no. It, it's like a an entire towel on top of me right now. It is not. I thought it was linen, and it's high quality, but it's like too high quality. I'm like, I am sweating right now. So That's too funny. Yeah, this city's hot. I mean, come from Toronto. This is half the reason why we escaped yeah. Toronto, to like get out of the get out of the seven-month winter, but... Be careful what you wish for, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big guy. It's like, yeah. I sweat in the summer, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I feel you're there. But dude, I want to dive into, you have a couple podcast shows now, but one yes, in particular sir. is it's called uh, Success Stories, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've listened to a couple shows and obviously you have big accounts and you understand the value of building a brand, getting attention. Personally, I think one of the best ways, if not the best way, is doing exactly what we're doing right here. It's by yes, far sir. the most, I think, simplified, scalable, and we can deepen a relationship, right? And yeah. there's opportunities that come from that. That said, yeah. with everything you're doing, all your businesses, investments, et cetera, what are some tangible things that you can share with people that might have a podcast like myself just mm-hmm. getting started and just overall personal brand in general? Yeah, so... It's a good question because a lot of, there's no, I mean, personal brand is something that is so new that there really isn't maybe a playbook outside of a Gary Vee type mm-hmm. model for doing it well. And he plays at a whole different level. So I think that when people start a personal brand, uh, it's really good to try and figure out why you're doing it first. And I mean, like I succumbed to this too. When I started, I didn't know why I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. So I can sort of speak through why I started mine, and then I can also look at why people are sort of more um, specific and focused and tactical about theirs. And I think it's actually very good to be more focused and tactical. I don't think the way that I started is even the best way to do it, but I mean, you got to start somewhere, which I'm a big advocate of. So that's that's the main takeaway. Whatever you're thinking of doing, if you're like even like uh, slightly interested in it, just can we swear or no? I don't know. I don't we give can. A fuck. <laughs> say everything we you want. Just say. fucking start. Just fucking start. That's the main yeah. takeaway. But point is personal brand. Um, so backgrounds uh, in tech. I'm a sales and marketing guy, so not a developer. So I understand um, B2B sales, B2B marketing, as well as like mm. B2C and 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 I've done every iteration of marketing that there is. You know, I'm a big fan of doing the thing myself, learning it and then hiring a team to do it. So I mean it could be Video, audio editing, it could be coding up a website, it could be copywriting, it could be graphic design, whatever it is. I've done everything myself. And I've done everything myself for companies that I've built and worked for. And then I realized that um, when you leave a company, you leave with nothing. So I see people that operate at the highest levels that are entrepreneurs that have had, um, I mean, we're talking like billion dollar exit, IPOs, you know, nine figure exits. And then all of a sudden you start to see them wanting to build a personal brand because now they realize that they've exited, they have some notoriety, but they haven't really captured the cool story of their life. So there's sort of, you know, when and you're... To cut, and to cut yeah. you off just real quick on that is Elon Musk, I think, is actually becoming mm-hmm. a perfect example of that. He Anything is. and everything he touches now, because he put time energy behind a personal brand, now everything can explode, right? He spins businesses up like this. Mm. So you, now you see also like Richard Branson, who's put a, a lot of emphasis on the personal brand. Those individuals, even like a like a Mark Cuban or a Kevin O'Leary, they can spin up companies overnight because of their fame and their notoriety. Right? Absolutely. There's a lot of people that are worth more than Kevin O'Leary. That yeah, they can put money in, but are they going to get exposure? So no, maybe the you know the free eyeballs are worth something. And I felt that. So 
started a personal brand when I was still working for a company. Didn't know exactly what I wanted to be, but I did know that I wanted to talk about stuff that I love, which is the fundamental basis for any personal brand or any content strategy for yourself. Um, and I thought that if I'm talking about business, startup entrepreneurship, then how do I capture that? It was, and I thought of the format to capture it in, and it wasn't really like 30 second TikToks or you know Instagram reels. I wanted long, meaningful conversations to talk people shit, kind of like what we're doing right now. So uh, the strategy was very much looking at what Gary Vee did. You know, I've never reinvented the wheel on anything. I look for people that are doing it the best, and I have a person for content. I have a person for Twitter. I have a person for Instagram, and I look at all these people that are doing it the best, and then I can derive my strategy from the people that are killing it on that platform. But Gary Vee was like the high-level content marketing mm-hmm. guru at the time, and I'm like, how do I take my you know passion and turn it into something? So it was well, I want, I need to be everywhere all the time to be relevant. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with this in the future, but I do know if I get enough eyeballs looking at me, then I can use it for anything, like what all the people we just mentioned do with all the brands they spin up. And then also, if I work for somebody in the future, then also that can be useful for them, right? So if I work for another company in the future, if I'm just an employee, and I mean, I was always at, like at this level, I was I was C-suite in companies. So I was yeah. managing the sales and the marketing, but more eyeballs would be looking at the company if I joined this, them. This is when you're employed, right? So yeah. for just context, you were like, well... I don't have a product. I'm not a coach. I'm not yeah. a consultant. I don't have a course. I don't have anything. This is a perfect person that's like in a job and yeah. or like maybe they need to leave their business and go work for somebody else. Exactly. Cool. And this is like the first steps into that. So uh, podcast made sense because it was long form content. It was the pillar content that could be broken down into all these different smaller pieces. So as a marketer, I understood that, of course, I wanted that pillar content, which was great. It allowed me to capture the conversation that kind of like what we're having right now. But then you get like 50 plus derivative pieces from it. And that's if you know the tech and you know the playbook and you know the SOPs, like kind of like we were alluding to, it's actually not that hard to really scale out a small little content strategy yourself without hiring a significantly expensive content team. So from that one pillar piece that audio video so it was, a, it was a video podcast so you know the podcast goes on on an rss feed a megaphone or a libsyn or whatever the hell you want video goes on youtube and then from that i uh at the time i was using otter.ai to transcribe it so i could actually turn it into uh, a newsletter that would go out and a blog mm-hmm. and a medium article and then i would also take all the questions that i asked throughout the podcast and turn them into 30 to 60 second clips and then go into, I mean, like TikTok, Snapchat, uh, you know, Instagram, um, YouTube Shorts. So you have one pillar piece and all these derivative pieces. And as long as the pillar piece is great, then all the derivative pieces are great. And you rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And because I didn't have necessarily a, a product that I was selling or a, a defined focus day one, which you should have, but ultimately I was building a brand. I was getting more eyeballs. I was building a community, building an audience. And then, of course, you can see once you have that audience, then if I wanted to, be a, a coaching consultant for business, whatever. It's very easy to sell into that audience immediately. But I didn't know that, what I wanted to do with it. So I just started building. Yeah, I think a lot of people, it's like analysis paralysis. They're yeah. like, well, I don't really know. Ideally, you do know. But I think to help people that are not quite sure, because most of the time people get stuck because they don't know what they want. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or they don't know who they are because they haven't tried enough things. That said, I think it's just a little, uh, it's typically in people's best interest if you are stuck to think of like 30,000 foot view. So for example, you know business. Mm-hmm. So that's what I love. That's what I that's what I consumed, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So instead of saying I'm going to be a master marketer, a master sales, a master uh whatever it is, business. For me it was financial literacy. Mm-hmm. And then you dive into like 
credit, debt, investing, creative financing, real estate. So it's just, if you're stuck, the point I'm getting at is if you're stuck and you're not quite sure, or you're looking to create more content, come to that 30,000 foot view, and then you can, you can niche down from there. So I like that long form, then you can chunk everything scalable, down. Super scalable strategy. Mm -hmm. And simple. Simple too. And you got to think it's, it's less of a lift on your end to start something like this because day one, no one cares about who you are. But I'm sure if you're if you're if you're smart about your strategy to get guests, we can talk about we can break down everything into like Let's finite do it detail if you want. But like <laughs> it's up to you, man. But if you're smart about your strategy to get good guests, and then you tailor the questions based on the output that you'd like from that particular content piece, mm -hmm. then those guests are awesome. They're gonna have their own audiences that you can tap into once you actually produce the podcast, and all the derivative content is gonna be aligned with what you actually want to put out across all your social all, mm -hmm. all your social channels. So. I mean, it, I think that if we're going to speak about why it's good to build a personal brand, I think we're in the era where jobs are no longer um, as set in stone as they used to be. People switch jobs all the time. Companies furlough. The jobs that were, uh, they seem safe, were no longer safe. We found that out during COVID. So a lot of people, I mean, I don't know data in front. I don't have it, but I'm sure like 50 to 60% of people are doing some sort of side hustle gig economy work right now. Um, and if you want to, think about why people are doing that. It's to sort of secure extra income, right? They want to make more money somehow. And there's reasons why they want to do that. But ultimately, um, they don't feel set and secure in their job the way they used to. And they feel like that's an easier way to make additional income that they can go invest or whatever they want to do with that. But if you think about starting a side hustle, well, the side hustle is really just a business. And if you're going to have a business, well, how do you actually, how do you actually build a business? You have to be able to have a great product, and that side hustle is usually like a core service or or something that you're really good at that you're offering as a consultant, like on five quality information, exactly, or, or call it quality information. It could be a, it could be a knowledge product. It could be like an actual like an actual service that you offer as well. Mm -hmm. Or uh, and then once you do that, then you got to figure out okay, well, how do I actually um, how do I actually scale that? Then you want to have a marketing funnel. So that marketing funnel is the personal brand day mm -hmm. one. I mean, you can also try, I mean, you can try Facebook ads and whatnot, you can try it. But like, we're talking about how do we start a side hustle with like as little investment as possible and you don't have ad experience? Well, this is a very easy way to do that until the side hustle turns into something real and then you can build more business infrastructure around it. Yeah, absolutely. And you can turn your phone sideways yes. and you can just hit record and exactly. talk about random stuff, send the video clip and or just edit yourself, clip it down from an hour talk. Maybe mm -hmm. there's 10 topics you discuss. And from there, you can just post those clips, post it on YouTube, post it across all the other social media platforms, and then hire a copywriter or, you know, type it out yourself where you're basically creating Now you have AI, Twitter. you don't even need a copywriter. Yeah. I mean, like you could use AI to get you like 80 to 90% of the way there between like ChatGPT or, or I think uh, Jarvis is another one or uh, there's, I can't remember, there's a few different like copywriting tools. Like if you basically took uh, an audio video recording, put it into otter.ai, which basically transcribes the whole thing, take that output, which is really just a rough conversation, mm -hmm. and throw it into chat GPT and like, turn this into a newsletter, you're going to have something that's going to seem like a little bit robotic, but like a very good first draft of a newsletter that was derived from a conversation you had with some other cool person that's teaching a whole bunch of shit. Yeah. And I'll give you one more thing. A lot of people, um, they just have massive imposter syndrome. And that's why they don't start creating content. That's why they yeah. don't feel comfortable putting themselves out there. So how do you like reduce the imposter syndrome? Well, fucking let someone else teach. 
It's not even it's not even you day one. It's someone else who's like teaching your audience something valuable. You're just being the broker of that knowledge to your audience. Dude, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. One, you just got to value your opinion more than somebody else's. And there's probably deeper layers of insecurities. Mm-hmm. We all have them. But that is exactly what comes to mind every single time. I'm like, all right, what else do I need to do on the podcast here? Who else do I need to bring in? Sure, those are great questions to ask. But in reality, I wanted my podcast to be entertaining and informative. Yeah. Yeah. And, yo, you're going to just teach everything. I just got to (laughs) ask some random questions. And you know what? Not Some people are cool, like doing their own thing and Mm -hmm. and putting out new content all the time and doing like a, a, you know, putting their phone in front of their face and just recording. But not everybody is. Mm -hmm. So the goal with this Probably not that motivational because I'm not Tony Robbins, but motivational enough, like little like uh, little conversation is, okay, so you want to make more money. I mean, now we sort of come to terms with, okay, you can have a job, but you can also make money other ways. You want to invest it. You want to, you, maybe you don't have enough money to invest yet. So how do you make more money on top of your nine to five? Fine, start a side hustle. How do you market that side hustle? Okay, start putting out content. And how do you sort of de-risk the side hustle and then like de-stress marketing which is really the strongest marketing asset you have is yourself. And I think this is a really good way to do it. And it's just like low friction across the board. No excuse. What would you say, because almost everyone's creating content now, right? We have realtors that are posting content every day. We have guys like you and I, everyone's using podcasts and reels and TikTok and Twitter. And everyone's a content creator now. What is the number one thing that someone can do to separate from the pack what makes my podcast quote unquote better than someone else's to listen to mine versus competitors Mm -hmm. or another business podcast so there's two things that you can do um there's two things that you can do to sort of separate yourself so and you have to understand that we're coming from the lens of people that are creating so not everyone is creating Mm -hmm. i mean there's still less people creating than consuming and i would say that my first tip would be to niche down because if you do niche down, there's probably nobody creating in that niche mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So if you are, oh, I don't know. If you, are, I'll give you an example of of, of the, somebody who I'm I'm business partners with. We're building a podcast together. Joseph Martin. He sold BoxyCharm mm-hmm. for like 520 million bucks. Super successful entrepreneur. And his content that does the best because he comes from the beauty industry. Even though he's not like, it's not like he's like. He's in love with the beauty industry because he built a business in it. But before that, he was not in the beauty industry. He wasn't like a makeup aficionado. Like, he wasn't at all. So his content does well because he is a business leader who is who built an enormous business in the beauty industry. And, like, he has the perspective of somebody that's business plus beauty. It's not like a, a beauty YouTuber. It's not like a TikTok influencer. So he comments on the business of beauty and as much as funny enough, he's trying to move away from that because he sold the company. So he's now trying to like build another personal brand focused on the podcast and finance and investing and success and entrepreneurship. That content still hits. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because it's so niched down into something that not a lot of people are, are in at all. So, Which I would say that's, I think, the... I think that's I, the secret. You have to niche down a lot. And I didn't do that day one, but you can. But I would argue just a little, at least where he potentially could have did a better job is like being him and sharing mm-hmm. like who he is, what he believes in, then niching down as well. So like maybe four videos is about the beauty, the business, and then maybe one is reminding the audience who he is, what he so prefers. He's doing that now. He, right. he is doing that now. So that's right. the focus. But I, I see that the beauty content that he comments on, so like trending beauty business news, yeah. it still gets more 
engagement than the other stuff that he actually would rather get engaged with. Yeah. So I think that niching down is just one example of how you can differentiate yourself because mm-hmm. if you really niche down into something that no one else is really doing, because like, re- like, yes, every realtor is putting out content. But I mean, for example, what if my last company was a B2B broadcast SaaS company? What if I just niched down into that particular topic and just created t- content around that? There's not a lot of other people that are mm-hmm. focusing on creating content around that. And then you start getting invited to speak on the stages for industry events. And then you, I mean, you become uh, you become a known figure that's so specific on what they speak about. Now, that's great when you have a partic- like a particular topic that you know that you want to go into. Day one, I didn't. I didn't know what I wanted to go into because I didn't know the reason of the content I was creating. So mm-hmm. if you have this problem where you're just like, I want to build a brand but I'm slightly confused about the niche that I really want to go into. Eventually, you're going to have to figure it out. I guarantee eventually you will. But I'm a big fan of just starting as well. So I'm actually right now discovering the magic of podcasting. Is more f- is It's better to do uh, shorter, actually, and, and to do them more frequently than to do longer, like, like what we're doing right now. Like I did interviews for the majority of like my podcasting life. It's not the most optimal. Mm-hmm. So the people that show up every day and the people that can find a way to batch create content, one great podcast that does this very well is Marketing School with Eric Sue and Neil Patel. Um, they do daily five to 10 minute marketing clips. Now, you may say, okay, so what can you really teach in five to 10 minutes? Well, enough that they've grown faster than most other marketing podcasts in the tune of millions and millions of downloads. So people like frequency, and if you can find a way to architect frequency, that will also set you aside because not a lot of people do it. Um, Another one who does this really well is Entrepreneurs on Fire with uh, John Lee Dumas. He found a way to do an interview every single day. He has has SOPs, you know, out his ass. He has, like, process. He has everything, like, perfect. But he's found a way to do it every single day. So it's not easy, but if it was easy, then everybody would do it. So Mm -hmm. find a way to niche down or find a way to, like, scale out Mm-hmm. the amount of content you put out into the world. Um, and it doesn't mean doing the three-hour, four-hour Joe Rogan clips. just means, like, showing up every single day. It's funny because, mm-hmm. like, we should know this from Instagram, Twitter, way back Facebook. If you post every day, you're going to get a bigger audience. People like consuming every single day. They like to, they, they become fans of, like, and they become, you know, they're just, like, waiting for you to post this stuff because this is, like, what they're looking forward to. But for some reason... I think it started with YouTube because YouTube's algorithm favored like these 10 minute clips that came out like once or twice a week. And it, and then, you know, everybody's banner on YouTube said, um, you know, post every Monday and Thursday and whatever. But we have to realize that some of the, even the best YouTubers like Graham Stephan, he was posting, uh, not Graham Stephan, um, oh, I'm blanking on the other finance guy's name. Tyler uh, Kevin. Bersetti. No, no. Ke- oh, yeah. Uh, what's his uh, Kevin? Kevin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He posts every single day and he blew up like a motherfucker. Mm-hmm. So not it's not easy, but you asked how to how to separate yourself in like a super like saturated content world. That's a way to do it still. Be different. Be different. Yeah. Be different. <laughs> yeah, that's right? an easy way to say it. You yeah. gave a, a much smarter response. In, but I think that's what you're saying, though, is like, oh, Kevin was like, well, instead of doing two 10-minute videos, yeah. why don't I do one every single day? Yeah. So then you knew every day this guy's doing something different or whether it's a five-minute show, 10-minute show. But also, comes back to what I said earlier, what do you want? That's true too. I would much rather my podcast show be like, quote-unquote, middle-of-the-road mediocre, but build a relationship with you, mm-hmm. right? That is the upside for me. 
because I've already established other businesses, other things, like going deeper in relationships with people where you can text me anytime if you need anything yeah. or I can connect you with someone. But definitely if you're getting started out, I think, uh, one, there's no perfect strategy by any means. Like anything else, you just got to get started. Um, but that's really, really good feedback. Be different, you know, quick, right? Put stuff out, have things in place with the team and processes where mm -hmm. you can be across all platforms. Whether you want to be or not, I agree with you. I think you got to be on all platforms. I think you do. I think that, you know, what I just, when I just broke down my first strategy, which was really that pillar content into all these separate pieces, that's a really easy way to go across all platforms. Um, the reason why, you know, I, I sort of alluded to it, but didn't explicitly say it. The reason why I did a podcast and then took all those derivative pieces of content from the podcast is because I would go crazy thinking of fresh content for every single platform every single day. Mm -hmm. I would I would lose my mind, like especially with no support, no team. I didn't have, you know, I was I was making I've always made a very good salary and then I had equity positions, but it wasn't like enough to like finance a content marketing team for a personal brand that wasn't making money. Mm. Like that's, that's a, you know, that's a lot to actually invest in yourself day one and you don't really know where it's going to go. And then you don't know how long it's going to get there. And you don't, what's the playbook for a personal brand when you don't have a product? How are you monetizing the podcast? Cause I think that's essentially what you're saying, right? Is like yeah. at the end of the day, there's gotta be tangible things that you're measuring to make money from. And, whether somebody has successful businesses in place or investments or money already mm -hmm. um, or somebody that's just getting started, what are some some tactics or things that have worked well for you to monetize, uh, I guess, personal brand in general, but specifically maybe like a podcast? Yeah, sure. So um, day one was all ads. I didn't do gated anything. I was, again, very much in line with the Gary Vee model. I didn't do subscriptions, didn't gate shit, didn't gate newsletter, didn't gate podcast episodes, didn't try to Patreon, failed miserably. So it was mostly just like ad revenue. It was it was all ad revenue, negotiated very high CPM, so forty to fifty dollars CPM, um, which is very healthy. It's business content, so I can do that. Mm -hmm. And focused on closing deals with people that could find me advertisers, so I didn't have to do it myself. So I work with two different two different groups. Um, I'm part of the HubSpot podcast network, mm -hmm. so they they fill a pre roll and a mid roll on every single show. And there's other networks out there. There's a lot of networks. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Blue Wire does all my other ad sales. So Blue Wire fills all my other ad slots. And they take a percentage, which is fine, because I don't have to do anything for it. But I was focusing on finding those agencies slash brokers that could actually close deals. And that's that's the majority of my revenue that I actually tie to the show right now. Um, there are other ways to monetize, obviously. So yes, you can have a product. I mean, right now I'm trying to build a private equity firm. So what's my product? Deal flow and LPs. I'm not trying to sell an actual knowledge product or a service right now, but I am trying to bring on LPs, look at the deals that we're investing in. I am trying to get great business owners that are trying to sell, that are cash flowing to come approach me and, and my partners so I can go buy those businesses. Um, but that's just more recent. So immediately it was just ad revenue. And, and then, um, you know, as, as it grows and I can start, but it's also about the time you have. So do you have the time to commit to building a knowledge product or a, or a consulting service that will actually serve the audience well? And I didn't want to be another person building out some bullshit or like promising some bullshit that doesn't deliver. Like I have, a, I have imposter, I have massive imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. even though from my operational experience, I probably have more operational experience and strategy and expertise than most of the people that are teaching sales or marketing or you know, as, as a consultant coach. I still didn't want to put out something into the world unless it was like exceptional, like exceptional. So 
that's why I didn't do it day one. Share your thoughts. What are what are uh, some sh- you know tips you can share around mm-hmm. sales and marketing? Like, what's one or Jeez. two things? Oh, okay. Where do I start? Right. <laughs> um, well, sales is pretty straightforward. So, we, sales is solving problems that people have and understanding what those problems are. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're selling, if you're selling a, a five million dollar product to a large organization, or you're selling. Um, a $20 CPG product, direct to consumer via Shopify, or maybe you're selling the opportunity to come on a podcast. You have to identify the pain points that the person has and then basically just communicate how you're solving those with the product or service that you're going to be selling them. So, you know, we'll talk about podcast context because this is day one. Um, I had a great network, but I tried to get really great people on because I wanted I wanted to, you know, no one cares about Scott, but maybe they care about, uh, you know, Guy Kawasaki or Grant Cardone or Anthony Scaramucci. Maybe they care about these people. They probably do a little bit more than I me. I care about want. you, man. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> but these people are big names. So sure. I brought all those people in in the first, I think, 10 to 15 episodes. How'd you land them? It was cold email out. So, I mean, I found their emails. There's a ton of tools that you can use to find emails. It's really not that hard. Um, and then great subject lines. So you're basically... A great subject line in an email would be um, giving them all the benefits of what they're going to be getting or some sort of social proof. So I took the biggest guests that I landed through personal connections and put them in the subject line of my email saying, like, podcast invite, previous guests are Guy Kawasaki, Grant Cardone, Anthony Scaramucci. And, and the second I get another guest, I'd add them into that subject line. So immediately they're like, oh, shit, okay, it's a podcast invite. They're not really trying to pitch me on much, but I know that there's some peers that I know that have been on this. So there's you know some social proof there. And then when they open up the email, it's just showing them what you can do for them. So I'll tell them exactly how many downloads I have, which early on there wasn't a lot, but I did have a good email list. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, listen, if you come on my show, um, these are the downloads your show is going to get, which you know may be like 5,000 downloads or 3,000 downloads or whatever it was. But uh, my team will also create 10 social media clips for you that you can post on your social. And this is what they're going to look like. And they were like nicely edited, little short video clips. And that's something that, you know, maybe they don't have a good social video editor in-house. A lot of big names outside of like Grant Cardone or Gary Vee, like you look at their socials, they're not great. They're pretty like half-ass. And then you'd say, okay, I also have 20,000 people Which on ones? My- I'm not telling you names. <laughs> <laughs> you look at people, you know when their social is yeah. boring as hell. So, and then you say, I have an, an email list of like 20, 25,000 people. And this podcast will be emailed out and whatever link you want to include in the email, I'll include in that email. So, I mean, you're solving for their pain point, which is exposure yeah. uh, to a new audience. You can double down on solving for a pain point or a problem, again, Sales 101, if you align that outreach with a meaningful event in that person's life. So if that person is launching a podcast or if that person is writing a book, what I was doing day, you know, day zero was going on Amazon, filtering by new releases, upcoming new releases, and then basically uh, whatever the filter mechanism is for most popular to least popular, and looking at the authors of those upcoming new books, and then finding their email and then emailing them out. And then, of course, they're getting free PR at a time in their life that is very meaningful. And you can convert almost anyone at that point because they're already paying for PR around their book. So why would they not get an extra 20,000 eyeballs on a book they're releasing? And all the big people always release books every couple of years. So it's just about finding them. Yeah, and us lovely humans have egos, right? So it would be really Mm -hmm. cool to get an email to say like, okay, here's benefits, but then wait, how does this guy know I just released a book? That's true too because they don't realize that they're on lists of of upcoming 
uh, book releases and with a high popularity. Like nobody's actually doing that research, right? So it's just, it's like if you want to go have a meeting with someone, it's probably wise to listen to their podcast or click on their Facebook page or mm -hmm. Instagram page and say, hey, I just saw that you were in Puerto Rico. How was that trip? Right? Dude, and they're just like, reference oh, wow. their latest tweet or something like that. If they, if you want to get on someone's podcast, go leave a review on their podcast, screenshot it, include it in the email. Like small things make such a difference when you're stroking someone's ego. And it's like, it's funny because it's like, it's, I mean, you're, you're authentically doing the thing. You're authentically checking that they have a book. You're authentically leaving a review. But it's like the bar is so fucking low mm -hmm. when people get emails and spam. Like, dude, I get like 30 to 40 uh, podcasts, like requests to come on my show a day. Like dead ass serious. And Why every the hell did single you come one. on mine? What? Why the hell did you come on mine? No, because you're awesome. What's no, 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 no. I'm saying for people to come on my show. Oh, got people it. on my show. Got yeah, it, no, no, no. I'm not that famous. No, yeah. no. But people will always want exposure. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate you thinking I'm not famous. No, um, I get a few, but I get like 30 to 40 people saying like, "Hey, Scott, I want to be on your show. I've been doing this for like four years." So mm -hmm. it's like on like all the PR list and shit. Yeah, it's crushing. And uh, and like 99.999 percent of them are like. This is the person, and here's three paragraphs of text as to why this person is fucking awesome. I don't care because I can guarantee you, unless you're a name that I already knew, then there's someone else who's killed it at SEO. And there's someone else who's killed it at raising money in San Francisco. I can guarantee you that. There's someone else that's killed it at sales or killed it at marketing or killed it at real estate. So how do you differentiate yourself? It's not with three more paragraphs and like the one book you wrote and the fact that you did a TEDx talk. That's not it. Like you have to differentiate because like that's impressive, but like, that's not sales. That's like me just just like throwing shit that I've done at you. How are you solving my problem as a host? Let's flip it as a host. What is my problem? My problem is exposure and reach and more downloads and more subscribers. So how do you solve for that? So very similar to how I sold my show to get people on, there's a strategy to sell yourself to get onto shows. But it's always about solving pain points. There's a sales lesson. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, capture their attention, capture their yeah. eyeballs, subject line. Uh, of which is credibility, mm -hmm. right? Like I really like starting at people's like, boom, here's what you're doing. You're crushing it, right? Yeah. Hence how we started. You're crushing it and personal brand. So let's start right here, right? I love it. And then it's, how is this going to help the person on the other side? Here's Always the benefit question, right? And there's a good chance that it's going to come down to solving a problem, but those benefits is doing that. And it's very similar, if not identical problems across any industry, no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. And then... On the marketing side, uh, what are some some tactics there that you can? Mm. I know obviously sales is marketing, marketing is sales. It is, and it, and you got to do both well. So what are what are what are marketing tactics? So we'll use it in context of the podcast again. Um, I mean, the whole breakdown I gave on how I take that podcast and turn it all these different pieces is is like that's a content marketing strategy, um, and then within that strategy you can go into um, you can go into all the different subsets of that. So, I mean, uh, even for SEO, I have a website. Um, I'll mm -hmm. take, I'll take the podcast, transcribe it, turn it into a newsletter, send it out, upload that same thing on my website. Make sure that you know all the 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 subject is keyword optimized for like a high search, high volume keyword search. Um, for paid, you have to. For paid, you have to find channel. I mean, this is marketing 101, not just for paid, but for marketing, you always have to find channels where your audience hangs out. So this is a good marketing lesson. Um, when I'm selling, say, a product or service, maybe if I'm using like Google or Facebook for paid ads, it's going to be very different if I'm going to be advertising a podcast. So for a podcast, to just sort of 
you know, show you like how I'm trying to find where my audience hangs out. I'm looking for paid uh, media opportunities in other podcasts, for example. Uh, so I could sponsor another podcast because I know there's already a listener there. Um, I'm looking for paid media um, at like a like a, like a like a podcast app. So like uh, Castbox, Player FM, like all these different spots that that allow for paid media and paid advertising. I'm paying there. I'm not paying Facebook. I'm not paying Google because what I'm trying to do is I'm not trying to I'm not trying to take somebody who's never heard of podcasts and then turn them into a listener of my podcast. I'm trying to just convert people that are already podcast listeners and just let them know there's another option. A very very much cheaper customer acquisition cost. And my my customer is my subscriber, right? So um, that would be a good marketing strategy. And then for paid, yeah, it's like literally like putting money in where I can have my cheapest uh, ROAS or cost per subscriber or cost per download. And again, like playing around with the creative, playing around with the messaging, all the things that you do for any other marketing campaign, for any other type of product, you're just doing that for podcasting against uh, a platform or an audience that you already know is into your product or service. Are there a lot of like intangible returns on investment that you've had from podcasting? If they're intangible, then I have a hard time measuring them. But yeah. <laughs> I would say, okay, in terms so, of like relationships, like yeah. you know for a fact that yeah, in dude. the last years, like, dude, this guy helped me connect with this person and speak at this event versus like yeah. I made a million dollars this year off the podcast. Do you think you've made substantially more non-measurable yes. returns on investment? A thousand percent. Yeah, like like without without a doubt. Um, so let's think of the things that have like happened in my life and actually the point you brought up before about why you do interviews, even though it's not the most optimized version of content, you nailed it. So I have relationships with some of the coolest people in the world. Um, I've been asked to speak on several stages. Uh, the The biggest stage I've spoken on was at uh, Inbound by HubSpot, which is a huge, huge marketing conference, which is enormous, obviously a great opportunity. Um, I've had, uh, I mean, like in some of the deals that we're doing, like a lot of the community that we built of LPs has come from my podcast, Personal Brand. Um, I've had, I'm trying to think, right now I'm I'm writing a book, which is like, I guess everybody eventually has to write a book, but like that wouldn't have happened if somebody hadn't found my show and sort of like pushed me and been like, hey, this is what I do for a living. And I know that you're building a brand and this is an asset that you will eventually have to, let me help you do this. So it's less stress on your end. So I found an awesome editor that's put a couple, um, like you know, like Wall Street Journal, New York Times bestsellers into the market, and he's helping me, and he's like sort of helping me with the structure and and how to pitch it and how to get a, a really good publishing house. So uh, I guess like an agent editor. I don't know what the actual proper technical term is, but that person found me because of the show, mm. um, and he's like, you know, he's he's like, you can you can. You can you can do it now. You can do it later. You're gonna do it eventually. So like, let me help you out. And obviously, it's like a lot of these like opportunities. They're win win, right? So I have an audience, um, and I know that audience will convert. So he'll make money as a, as an agent, as an editor. I mean, if I uh, speak on stage, um, they have obviously. I mean, I'm not gonna ever compare my audience to HubSpot, but I bring a couple fans too, right? And and you get a lot of these JV opportunities that are a lot of fun that you never would have even thought of if you didn't have that exposure and just putting yourself out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I bring that up because when it comes to like sales and marketing and is this the highest use of my time, that's where the light bulb went off for me like a couple months ago, Yeah, right? Like this show's very new, like 30 days in as far as being live. And I've had awesome guests like you. Yeah. So it's obviously, you know, doing very well. That said is the light bulb went off when I'm like, wait, this is by 
far the highest use of my time because 99.9% of this is just not going to be measurable. Sure, cutting deals with some brands eventually. Sure, ad revenue and whatever. That's mm -hmm. great. That's going to be awesome. Can't wait for that to happen. It's already happening, but I'd rather just focus on this type of conversation yeah. and go, oh, cool. When we have an event, maybe you'll come speak. And, right? and vice versa. So, if you're down in Miami, like I, so, you know, I'll start throwing shit all the time down here because I'm trying to sort of build a, like one passion of mine has always been entrepreneurship and entrepreneurs. And I, you know, I think that Miami is evolving, but it's not at the level of SF or New York yet. Let's be real. Like it's still like, it's still like a, a baby, you know, entrepreneurial. Well, crypto got yeah. crushed and all the NFTs went away, man. Yeah. So. So there's, <laughs> but there's some like, there's some people, there's some smart ass people from other categories that are down here now that are just like looking for community ecosystems. So I'm trying to do some like events, but like to your point, like a thousand. Yeah. So when I went to HubSpot, I brought three other people on stage that, um, that I had met through my podcast. So I, I brought Joseph Martin, who I'm now doing, a, we're working on business yeah. together. I brought, um, I brought the uh, president of Overstock and I brought uh, Stormy and I brought um, Eric Sue, another great marketer, all on stage. And I just met them through my show. Dude, and that's the thing is like, yeah. you were just talking offline about uh, one of our mutual friends in real estate, right? Yeah. You're like, I'm going to be putting some attention there and focus there. But that's the point. You don't have to be a real estate expert to have a real estate event. You can have no. real estate experts come on your show, then maybe have an event or have a real estate series on your podcast. And you don't have to be the one that educates the crowd or educates the audience. It's it's who you know, not what you know sometimes. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. Like when you operate at the level that, that we operate and, and above, the people that you know are interested in all the different opportunities that you have access to. So I know that some people in my network that don't know real estate as well, but they've made a, a shit ton of money in tech or something like that. If I sit down with, with yourself or I sit down with, you know, some of the other people, a lot of real estate people from Ohio that are killing it for some reason, but like if I sit down with any of these guys and like we walk through deals, I know that my audience would be interested in that because mm -hmm. they're all people that are super hungry, super successful, have made money or are and probably will make money in their career. And like, what do you do once you start to become, you know, financially successful? What do you do once you like fat fire yourself, right? Like that's when you start looking to invest. And it's not just, I mean, even my, I'm, I'm a case study. I came from tech. I was an operator. I made some money. The company was acquired. Now I'm investing. I'm not just investing in tech. In fact, I did a couple of VC angel, like angel deals. And then I moved away from that into private equity. And then I started going into real estate because I wanted to de-risk my portfolio. So anybody that operates at a certain level will start to like love access to the network that you built. Even, and I mean, now, like, I mean, like even like, uh, like esports. I don't know esports at all, but I, I have had people on my show that are esports people and like, man, the opportunities in esports are huge, like absolutely enormous and it's global. So how do I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to start an esports company. I'm not going to invest blind. I'm going to speak to somebody that I know mm. who probably has access to a whole bunch of entrepreneurs that are building esports companies or up and coming, or maybe even like larger scale. And maybe I'll put some money in there too, because it's just fun and it diversifies. And it's, mm. a, it's a category that I would have no idea how to approach. Dude. Yeah. This is like getting coaching for a couple hours for high performing people. And maybe mm -hmm. it's not right out the gate for some people, but that is, again, the intangible ROI. Oh, this person literally has spent the last 10 years. You can learn everything that they did in 10 years in two hours mm -hmm. or in an hour or in 30 minutes, whatever it may be. So it's just collapsing the time. Uh, 
yeah, share some other things that you're doing. What else outside of the podcast, personal brand? Yeah, so um, personal brand is now is now helping everything that I'm working on. So podcast is obviously like the personal brand, and then it turns into a newsletter, then it turns into social content. Um, after my last company was acquired, I was CRO there. We were a SaaS company. Now I'm actually CEO of a CPG company, so total 180, um, mostly because I'm a marketer. So the investors wanted a really good marketer to lead the helm there. And um, I'm building out a private equity firm um, because I'm not just investing my money. I wanted to build opportunity because I have a really good, like I have a really good eye for good deals and operator background. I can sort of vet if a company's doing well. What are the things that you look for? Well, I mean, if we're talking, if so, very tactically, very tactically, I mean, in a private equity play, it's a little bit different than a venture capital play. Now, the question to start with would usually be why, why private equity over venture capital? Venture capital is the world that I come from, and it's a super high-risk world, and it's uh, put money in and hope you see something in five to seven years, and you're betting on the founder, and a lot of it's unproven, and every deck is like, well, you know, we'll make money after year three, and then the valuation will be like over 100 million. Like, it's, it's so much risk, like so, so, so much risk. And if you actually want great, uh, if you want great outcomes from VC, you usually have to go in very early on. So the people that VCs, angels that do expect 100x on their money, they're usually going into like seed round or pre-seed round. Because then when you start going into series A, when most of the general po like population actually gets access to some really cool deals, well, then you're, you're, you're maybe if you could get a 30x after seven years, maybe if the company hits and then series B and then series D, C and then series D. And then like it's high risk. And then ultimately, you're not getting a lot back. So it's also not cash flowing. Yeah, what you said is key, which is you're betting on the founder. Yes. And typically what happens is when you're getting started, like there's some decisions that you have to make as a business owner, a CEO, especially when you're getting started, you're like, just trust me. Yeah. You can't have it on paper and you probably know that, right? It's like- Well, that's why the, the serial founders get funded versus the first time founders that just, they could have a great idea, but nobody's putting trust in them because they haven't done it before. And it's legitimately yeah. borderline impossible to measure. Like this person, it's very tough. That intuition they have, sure, it could hundred x, or it could go bankrupt tomorrow. So that's why I started looking at private equity. So private equity is looking at cash flowing businesses that have history that are profitable, that everything is working, and then you find maybe companies where it could be a distressed founder. Maybe they want to retire or maybe they started up an e-com store that had awesome product market fit on the side of another store they were building and they want to sell it off because they want like a cash injection for a new project. Whatever it is, it's cash flowing, it's de-risked um, and then you can actually take out money like as it grows. But then as an operator, you do know that you look at this thing that's already working so then you've proven out product market fit and then you can say, listen, I, I know the things that we could do to like take it from like 1 million to 5 or 5 million to 10 because I know all the things that work that you haven't even done yet. Mm. So in my mind, as an investment strategy, it's much less riskier. So it's funny. I found when I, when I was moving to Miami, I found two awesome people, one, one, one woman from Denmark, one from Vancouver, so a Canadian and a, a European who were building a private equity firm, and I joined on with them as a GP. To, uh, to help them build it out mm -hmm. because I wanted to build something that would allow me to invest my own money that I also felt safe in bringing in front of my audience. So how do you, how do you, really, how do you really become exceptionally wealthy and how do you really make a huge impact on the world? 
it's not just going to be your own capital. You know this in real estate. It's always OPM, right? This is what you do. This is use, you use other people's money. You figure out leverage, and then you can go after deals you could never even think of before, right? So Boom. this is what we're doing in private equity. So it's it's not real estate, but it's not venture capital, and it's cash flowing. And I know business. I know how to be an operator. I know how to market. I know how to sell. I know how to scale. I know how to hire. So this is where I felt the safest. And this is what I'm sort of exposing my audience to now, personally investing in, spending a lot of my time on. But private equity can also include real estate. I just don't know it as well. So we're doing like, we're doing agency work. We're doing, uh, we're doing e-com work. We're doing SaaS work. We're doing the things that I know. And then we'll grow it as it grows. So... Yeah, as you're saying all that, it's like, oh, this is why he's getting into real estate because as yeah. he's understanding real estate and you're learning more about real estate, it's yeah. borderline the same thing. When I say, what makes it a good deal, right? You're like, oh, well, where do we start? Same thing with real yeah. estate. Like, <laughs> what makes it a good deal? I don't, are we talking about a single family? Are we talking about a short-term rental? Are we talking about a multifamily? I didn't even answer your fucking question. Well, I kind of did, but I didn't answer. I was going to say, like, I mean, like, if you're looking for, like, good deals, I'm like, is it profitable? What's the EBITDA? What are the margins? I mean, what's your ROAS? Like, what are the metrics? You're, what are the KPIs you're measuring against, depending on the business? You know, what's your COGS? Like, like all the different, like, business metrics. What's your AOV? Do you have subscriptions in place? What's your LTV? Like, whatever those metrics are, you just measure against those. That's why private equity is not as much guesswork, because... I have the metrics and I know the numbers that look like good and I know what I know what a good healthy business should look like. So that's what you're looking for. There's less focus on the founder because it's a private equity. I'm taking an ownership position in the company anyways. I'm, What's which is key, right? Yeah. It's like I got skin in the game too. Yeah. So well, it, private equity usually you either you buy minimum 51%. Mhm. And sometimes you buy 100%. Mhm. So you can own 100% of it. If the founder wants to stay on, then they can stay on for sure. But I mean, if I feel like there's an opportunity and the founder's not taking it to the next level and the founder doesn't want to be involved, then it doesn't really matter to me what the founder's doing. Because I can find an operator that's going to kill it. And I'll hire an operator or a CEO for that particular portfolio company. Then I would assume there's emotions involved. Like they built it. So if you keep them around, sometimes it could be potentially some friction. Um, yeah, it's tough because... So uh, there could be friction if the founder wants to stay on but doesn't see the opportunity or the vision that you would like to see with the company because there has to be growth metrics that are achieved, right? So there's we have to hit growth targets. There will be eventually, in theory, some sort of exit event, um, and we, you know, you can IPO it, you can sell it to a larger organization, but um, you have to get the founder aligned with what you're going to be doing with the company. Mm. So I think that's a discussion that you have to have before you make the acquisition, so you make sure that you're all on the same page. More often than not, it's a lack of communication that would lead to any sort of discord between the the acquiring firm and the founder. But the founder usually is selling it under the assumption that you're going to take it and grow it. Mm-hmm. And they're happy with that. And and candidly, more founders are, are quite happy like not working in the business anymore. And fine, you, you keep 10%, you're on the board, but we're going to install an operator and we're going to grow it. Mm. And... I, I mean, yes, will some founders be upset that it's not the exact same as when they sold it? Okay, but also they're going to make a shit ton of money because we're, <laughs> we're going to grow it too. So it's always a toss-up. And sometimes, yeah, you do have to remove the emotion from it, but that's business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, what is something that this show or I can help you with to oh, damn. help everything that you're doing? You know, it's funny. Um, something, oh, I'm trying to think. What do I need help with? Well, I have to learn more about real estate because I want to. I want to give access to to good real estate deals to my LPs, um, and that's that's uh, that's a category that we haven't gone into yet. So that's something we can chat about that after. Yeah. Are you interested in like multifamily, existing multifamily, or not so, quite sure yet? 
Not quite sure yet. I think that, I mean, I watch enough real estate YouTube, and I think multifamily is like the way to go. Um, but I know there's like a million nuances to what you should go into. And, and like multifamily seems to be the easiest step for somebody getting into real estate. I mean, yeah, would I love to have, uh, you know, an enormous condo complex? Yeah, eventually. But like, <laughs> like, what, like one step at a time. So I think that you, like, where do you first learn? And I, if I talk to you, maybe it's multifamily, talk to another person, maybe it's like, you know, single detached homes with construction yeah. loans. Like there's all these different. That's exactly what I was yeah. going to say is, yeah. is I don't think there's a, technically a best strategy for anything. It's like the people that I trust, what are they experts at? That's what I'm going to go into. Boom. Yeah. yeah. That's all I care about. Yeah. That's one thing I admire about you, man, is you go, wait, why would I try to figure out how Twitter works? I'm going to go to the best pages that yeah. do what I want to do mm. and just copy and paste, right? Follow the money when it comes I to investing. About that I said that. So that's like the, that's the last part to the strategy. So after you do all this shit, then you find the person who's killing it at LinkedIn, at Twitter, at Facebook, at Instagram, at TikTok, and then you morph your content once you have some support mm -hmm. or you're just an incredibly great content creator and you know all the different tools and whatever. You morph your content to fit what's like working best in that particular medium. And put your own fingerprint on it, right? Like yeah. You do. You put your own fingerprint on it, but I would say day one, like if you take that content strategy I just spoke to and you just blast it everywhere, it's going to do okay. Mm -hmm. It's going to be volume, but it's not going to be like the best. And you start to massage it into like what looks great for each platform. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, also one thing I usually ask people when it comes to uh, real estate is most people Google uh, and find out that most millionaires have real estate in their portfolio. Mm -hmm. So it's more of a question with anything, but specifically with real estate, why real estate? What does success look like for you when it comes to, oh, this would be great for me and my LPs mm -hmm. if we were able to achieve X, Y, Z. And to give you just a very br brief example here, I have people that reach out to me all the time and they're like, Tyler, how do I get to 100 doors? Mm -hmm. And I say, why do you want 100 doors? And they, they usually respond with a number value. Well, I want X amount of money of passive income. I go, cool. That's why they want to get into real estate. They don't want necessarily 100 doors. They want $15,000 of passive income. Here's the seven different ways. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is perfect for you, John Smith on Instagram, but <laughs> maybe you get one Airbnb. Maybe you get a couple Airbnbs. Maybe you get 14 duplexes. I don't know. Maybe you passively invest. Yeah. So you go with like a REIT or some shit, and then you just, you could do that as well. Or you can, you know, do a joint partnership where. Well, or a joint partnership is probably better because then you're actually in on the actual asset as opposed to through a fund. Absolutely. Yeah. Or just, oh, I know this guy in my backyard that has been doing real estate for 12 years. Why don't I just be his private money lender and I just get that that quote unquote passive income. So for you, is it is it tax advantages? Is it, I have these, I have attention. I have people with money that mm -hmm. trust me and I've gotten results from them. Uh, why not? Is, is it more of like a diversification here where we so are now? It's diversification because, um, so a few things. Why, why do I love real estate? Well, I tried to get the closest damn thing to real estate in what I know, which is leverage, which is is recurring revenue, is appreciation of the asset over time. It's like literally I'm doing what I can with businesses that people use, that people love real estate for, right? Like why do people love real estate? So they can make 50000 worth $5 million, or they can use the bank's money, or they can... Uh, make they can make a monthly recurring revenue on the rent, right? Or and then they also make money on the sale of the asset or the appreciation. And then there's also the fact that I mean, like you can you have huge massive tax advantages and avoid capital gains with like 1031. So like there's so many advantages that you can get with real estate that 
I feel like government and and lenders and the whole there's such an ecosystem supporting real estate investing. So why do I want to get into it? Mostly because I don't know it, and I'm trying to do the closest damn thing to it with the things that I know, right? But I mean, what is private equity? I mean, you're 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 buying a distressed asset, not a distressed asset, but an, an asset that has a certain opportunity to mm-hmm. it that maybe is off market or people don't see. We're not going on, we're going off market for these deals. We're reaching out to business owners. We're finding things that are not just listed, right? And then you, traditional private equity, you usually leverage. You're leveraging LP's money, you're leveraging bank money, whatever it is, okay? And then you have the you have the cash flow, so you can pay dividends monthly, quarterly, whatever the hell you want. Think of that as your rent. And then you have the appreciation on the asset as it grows over time and you have the exit multiple, right? It's literally the exact same shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's identical. You just learned the other side first. Exactly. Right? When I started understanding really what it comes down to, you said earlier, OPM, other people's money. Yeah. Most importantly, I think, is other people's time. Because you can leverage the LPs yeah. and the money. How long would it take you to get $5 million right now? A lot longer for my businesses than it would for a real estate deal. I'll tell you that right now. Boom. So you take, well, these people have it that I've yeah. put time and energy and my reputation on the line. I can use their money and save myself X, Y, Z amount of time to mm-hmm. earn that $5 million and then put it into something that's proven and partner with someone like me or somebody yeah. else that, yeah. hey, here's the track record. Here's And, and I want to give that exposure to my LPs. So I want – like I. As if I'm going to try and help people become wealthy, you don't become wealthy by not diversifying. You have to diversify because not everything works all the time. Let's be real. So you're going to have some high risk. You're going to have some stock. You're going to have some, you can put it in like whatever, 401k or whatever. I'm Canadian, so I don't even know what Americans do. But like <laughs> like, a, like a Roth Retirement IRA, account yeah. or something, whatever. But the point is like if you actually want investment vehicles, like you, people usually look at two extremes. For, for people that are actually trying to invest. They look at like angel investing, venture capital, startup investing, which is like super high risk. Mm-hmm. And they look at real estate and mm-hmm. maybe some stocks. Like they fuck around with some stocks. Maybe that's it. Like, I mean, like a lot of people that are just going into investing, I don't think they know of many other options. I don't think they really understand all the different things you can do. So, And it comes a skill set, right? Like that's, that's where you are. And getting. also you can screw up because you don't know. You don't know. You can screw up and you can lose a lot of money too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think... Personally, I'm very biased on where I think a lot of people go wrong in business and life and especially with investing is I genuinely believe you invest in who and what you know. Yes. And so if you're really good at personal brand, you're really good at private equity and you're really good at monetizing those things, not to ever discourage anyone by any means. It's, hey, why don't you just find the person that is at that level or better at real estate where you don't have to go figure out what they had to figure out in 10 years. I agree. Yeah. Boom. Boom partner. And I want to talk on that. Have you found more success with that mindset? It sounds like you are very, very hands-on like most entrepreneurs. I need to control everything mm-hmm. vertically integrated. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. but have you found that to work against you? And then have yeah. you found it to be better to bring in partners? A thousand percent it works against me. Like every day it works against me. I'm like, I'm crazy. Like I'll do everything <laughs> myself. I, I, I like have no free time and I'm trying to buy back time. So it does work against me. Um, it it gives me more confidence in the decisions I make, so I don't regret doing like over indexing on myself. But 
I think that you have to be self-aware enough to realize that you cannot run at this pace for the rest of your life. So could could I figure out real estate? Yes, I could yeah. figure out real estate. Could I launch a fund and find a GC? And uh, But I don't fucking want to. Yeah. I just don't want to. <laughs> it's, I'll, I'll learn it, but I'll learn it actively as I'm doing it with somebody who's doing it. So yes, I think there's important about learning your core skill set that allows you to be efficient in the market that you know very well and to be dangerous in that market. Mm. And then after that, once you want to expand, then you start to learn from people. that. It, so then the question becomes, how do you find the people that you can actually learn from? And that's very tough. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a person who takes courses or, or even goes to masterminds. I'm a person that just watches the behaviors of somebody for X amount of years. And if I haven't heard anything bad about them yet, that's when I jump into bed with them. So where do you watch them? Like, do you like look in their bathroom? No, do you go stalk friends. Them? It's like literally, like literally friends. It'll be friends yeah. that I've seen operate for a long enough period of time that yeah. I'll be friends with, that I'll trust. Like we're just talking, we're talking about Austin, like earlier yeah. today. Like I've known Austin since I moved down to Florida, yeah. and and now I'm thinking of trying to get into business with him somehow. So it was just because I know that there's people are great marketers, but over a period of time, you can't market yourself out of bullshit for two, three years. You really can't. If you are a, if you're a fucking horrible person, people will figure that out over time. Yeah. Good market covers up to a lot of mistakes and yeah. it's really exposed the last, I think 12, 16 months. I yeah. say it all the time. I'm like, I'm 28. You're young too, right? How old yeah, are you? I'm 32. Holy shit. Yeah. Never mind. You're getting up there. Uh, she's <laughs> <laughs> but, but we, we know like we're, we're, conscious of, enough to know because we've been around great people and yeah. mentors and, and go, I'm very transparent. I've never went through a depression or a severe recession. So let's neither, make... Neither have I. And so Surprisingly, as old as I am. I yeah, bet. I'm like, <laughs> you didn't go through the Great Depression? No, unfortunately no, no. not. That was a couple of years <laughs> before me. <laughs> I'm teasing. That's crazy though, man. You're doing a lot at, at 32. And, yeah, dude. But you're totally right. Like, I think... Although we're entrepreneurs and investors, we're very data-driven and we have to have all these line items in place and what's our ROAS and our blah, blah, blah. Dude, nothing beats intuition and mm -hmm. gut. Yeah. The reasoning why you're probably going to be doing business with Austin and something, you get around him enough and you go, hey, guess what? What's the worst thing that happens? We lose money. Yeah, we lose everything. I still trust them. He you didn't know, mean to. You know what you hear when you're around somebody long enough. You start to there's like signals of their of how they look at life. So you know what I've heard about Austin. I've heard that he's turned down deals because he that he, he turned down money. Excuse me, turned down money because he doesn't want to go into bad deals. Just like not no one's selling me on this shit. Just yeah. like through casual conversation, people are saying, "I'm like, oh, that's positive signal. That's very positive." Not, you know, and, I, and I've, now I know the guy very well. I mean, we go for dinner, we're going to his wedding. Like, but the point is, that doesn't have to be the litmus test for whether or not you work with somebody if you're going to their wedding. But I mean, spend some time around the people because people market themselves very well. And like, I, I'm focused on being around you for a long time. So my reputation really matters to me a lot, um, especially because I'm not just representing myself. Now I'm representing other investors. Like, it, you only have so many chances to fuck something up. Like, not, and it's not a lot. So, yeah. I mean, like, barely once. So, yeah. what's Warren Buffett's quote? Like, you spend 40 years building a reputation and you can spend yeah. four seconds running it. Something like that. Yeah. Which is so valid. Maybe not even Warren Buffett. Might have been you, actually. I think, <laughs> I think it's Warren Buffett. <laughs> 
But I, I agree with you, man. Um, I don't know how much more time you have. We got 2.30 here. Bro, it's a Sunday. Uh, you're chilling, aren't you? I'm chilling. Yeah, what do you you're do? You're in trouble. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, whoa, we got, got him out of the house. Yeah. He's ready to rock and roll. Actually, yeah, let's talk about that. What do you do? You're a high performer, man. You have a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you drove down from Lauderdale down to Miami. Mm-hmm. What does your day-to-day life look like? Uh, like? What separates you from the pack? I mean, it's not like glamorous. I work, like, I'll wake up at, like, 8 and work till 11. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't really shut off at this point. But I don't want to shut off at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have kids yet. I'll be, you know, I've, I've been with my, my girlfriend, soon-to-be fiancé, soon-to-be wife for almost four years. He pushed a whole bunch of shit back as of COVID. But she's building her own thing, too. She's, she's badass in her own right. Mm-hmm. So we are in, like, a building season now. And we'll be having, like, you know, family soon, marriage soon. Like, that's, like, the next, like, year, year and a half. So I'm trying to get a whole bunch of, I mean, personal brands kind of off the ground. Then I'm doing startup and building private equity firm from scratch. So that's like another two years of hard work. And then it starts the workload. It's not it's not lesser. It's just the types of stuff that you're doing is different. So it's more making really critical decisions versus you're doing the shit. You're doing all the shit like for private. We don't have an analyst day one doing DD on a company like I'm doing DD on a company, like <laughs> yeah. So DD as in due diligence. Yes, right? due diligence. So my my day is busy now, but I like it. I mean, this is mm-hmm. you look at uh, you even look at like people like Hermosi and shit like that. Like they're nonstop mm-hmm. at this point in their life. But I'm doing it so that in the future I don't have to be like this, or I can be more selective. And I think that that's you know if you look at all the things I'm working on, so the podcast will be with me for life, startup will be with me for a season of my life. I mean, investors will not be happy if I do that without exiting for the next 80 years. <laughs> but <laughs> say that takes another five years. Then I have personal brand, it's even 10 years, personal brand and private equity. Private equity will always be a vehicle for me to vet good companies, work with good founders, business owners, and invest my money, invest my LP's money. I can scale that up and down in terms of participation as much as I want. But now I have deal flow mm-hmm. that I know comes in all the time. Awesome vehicle for me in my future. And that'll expand to different categories like real estate and other, right? And then podcast is just fun. And I've, I've already systematized everything. So, I mean, all the stuff that I mentioned where I record, you know, do the audio video editing, post it on YouTube, post it on your RSS feed, take all the, like now I have a team of six people that take care of all that. Mm. So now I'm talent for my show, which is awesome. because I don't have to do the editing. And that was done very purposefully. So as the show scaled, um, it's funny. So... I was working in a company, show scaled, was not building a private equity firm at all. Um, most of my time was editing and posting podcasts, my free time. The second I made a dollar from uh, a sponsor, that money went right into Upwork and right into people helping me. And you were then, editing the show? Uh, day one I was, yeah. Day one I was. <laughs> Grinding, bro. Bro, I grind everything. That's my thing. I grind everything myself out day one, and then I hire the best editor because I know what really good looks like. And then I can be I can be annoying about the outcome and the output from the people that I hire because I know that they can do better. And it's not like it's more work or more effort or more time. It's just like I know how to find the best people that are like the most skilled at the thing I need them to do. Yeah, it's your that's like a full blooded investor's mindset. I'm gonna spend an extra five hours on the front end training this person because I know it could be better yeah. to save myself 50 hours on the back end. A thousand percent. So that's that's what I've done for my show. So now I have a team. I have a CMO just for my personal brand and my show. He takes care of everything. 
So I don't even have to worry about the show anymore. So that can go on in perpetuity. It's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, and then I'll try and like eventually, like as as the startup ends, then I'm not going to include another startup in my life. And that's another, you know, few hours a week I buy back. One thing you said that's been resonating with me in my season of life is the work has changed drastically. Mm -hmm. This is my work now versus uh, being on a bunch of meetings or at least, I mean, obviously I'm still on meetings and whatnot, but just less tasks, if you will. Mm -hmm. Oh, we need to shift the work. And you almost feel in a weird way guilty. Yeah. Oh, I'm down here for an event. I'm going on a yacht to network. My team is working and doing X, Y, Z. We're not going to show up to this meeting, but in reality, there's billions of dollars on that yacht that one of them I'm going to be able to likely create a relationship with. Whether we do business or not, there's going to be something I get. And I think that's where a lot of people never get started because the work has to shift. Most importantly, holds people back from good to great. I agree. I think most people build themselves a job mm-hmm. and they don't remove themselves from the job because you have to have systems and processes uh, to allow yourself to take a step back. Like business owners here should go on a vacation for three months and if shit hits the fan, you don't have a business, you have a job, right? This is a, it's, there's a test for this. Um, and this is where you can identify yeah. these opportunities to go, if this person is removed from the business, they are screwed. Yeah. This is the benefit when I come in to close them on a private equity deal. X, Y, Z. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I mean, to quote more famous business people, I think Jeff Bezos said, uh, he's responsible for making two to three critical decisions every single day, and that's his job as CEO. And then you are you are irreplaceable in your ability to build networks and to to create value in communication and connection with other people. Um, you can't really hire people to do that in the same way that you can do it, or with the same passion or evangelism that you do that with. And a lot of people get stuck in that. And they and then I mean, from a real estate perspective, you have teams. Real estate is business. You have t- teams that support you. I mean, you should read the book uh, Build to Sell. Because it really just speaks about building a company to sell it from day one. Even if you don't sell it, Mm. you mean if you don't have to work in the business at all and you have every single thing taken care of, that's a beautiful thing. But a lot of people don't do that till much. I mean, I've worked for other companies and one of the past companies I I was heading up sales and marketing for, um, the founder was, it was like a 10 year old business and the founder only around like year eight hired a COO and stopped doing all the shit himself. And like fine, then then it was like a year and a half later he sold it to private equity. Mm. So like I see it, and people have this this. I think it's like it's funny from an investor investor perspective. It's called like the key man problem when a company only operates based on one person. From a founder perspective, it's like just like it just seems normal to just do all the shit. Mm. But the the faster you remove yourself from that, the better. Absolutely. And you usually probably see, it's like, I don't know if you ever, this is the Ohio of me coming out. Have you yeah. ever been in a warehouse or seen videos of a warehouse turn on the lights? It turns on and then it goes like down the warehouse, all the lights. Yeah, turn yeah, on, yeah, yeah. Right? It's like slightly delayed. That's usually what happens when you're an entrepreneur is like, yeah. I can't afford an assistant. I can't afford whatever that key role is. Usually it's like a personal or an executive assistant, mm-hmm. right? You hire them. They take the things off your plate and you go, why did I not hire them six months ago? Always. And so one thing you said, so key, take the vacation earlier. I legitimately believe that is by far one of the biggest mistakes I've made, you've likely made, Mm -hmm. and others listening that have businesses and busy lives and a lot of things going on. You don't take the vacation sooner because you're thinking of all the measurable things 
that is going to negatively affect you. But in reality, there's, again, coming back to intangible things such as when you get on that plane or you get in the car, you can identify immediately what the business needs when you're away. Mm-hmm. So you what can. I'll do is I'll take notes. Smart. I'll have dates that say January 1st to January 7th. If I go somewhere for those dates, let's say I'm going to, uh, I don't know, Puerto Rico. Boom. I do results, progress, issues. Type that in the notes of my phone. Here's the results that the team is actually doing very well. Things that need a little bit more progress, major issues. Yeah. Like the business will absolutely get crushed if I'm gone for another seven days. That's smart. I like it. And I want to add some more context because somebody listened to this. They just heard me say, remove yourself from the business. But then I also said I work nonstop. So then the question becomes like, well, why is that? So if you think about it, um, I've actually removed as much of myself as I can from the businesses at, at the stages that they're at. But I'm also building three things simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, for the for the actual startup that I'm building, um, I'm still very much involved in the day to day. A lot of hiring decisions. I mean, we're raising our second round right now, so there's a lot of like me involvement that cannot be outsourced. Um, even in private equity, I'm actually involving myself in some of the deal discussions more than I actually would have had to because I want to learn it. Mm. Only because I want to learn it. I want to learn how to score a deal. I want to learn how to vet business opportunities. I want to learn. Um, even like the the legal, like the different like reg filings, like how you market, like mm-hmm. security, like all these different things. I'm in it because I see it as something that I'm going to be doing for the long term. So I mean, a lot of it's a lot of it's participation. Some of it's passive participation, meaning I'm just jumping on calls and learning and listening to calls with legal and whatnot. But I want to be as involved and spend my time there so I can learn it like incredibly well. Because I mean, that's that's how you win. You just know it better than everyone else. Absolutely, and. I've had some people in my close circle exit at a very high number for businesses. And ironically, the guest I just recorded with yesterday, he said the exact same thing that you said is he teaches people how to build a business to exit. Mm -hmm. So build to sell is great. But he said, you also may never sell, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what you said. You may start doing other things and you say, in two years, I'm going to stop doing this, maybe be more in real estate. Or you do your first real estate deal and say, that was a pain in the butt. Or I just don't like it. I just don't like it and I don't mind working sun up to sundown because I think that's where a lot of people go wrong is at three o'clock, I have to stop working. No, you're probably still working just in a different way. The work changes. It does change. And I, I'm not like in front of a computer like uh, all day. I'm in front of a computer for a, a period. But I mean, like if I'm going out and going to the gym, going for dinner, maybe I answer emails after dinner. Like it's, like, it's just like for me, I, I do believe that like true, true freedom is like work-life integration. Like I don't believe that, I don't believe that humans are meant to not work. I don't believe that people should ever really retire. Mm-hmm. I see the second somebody retire cognitively, they decline. And, and it's like, sometimes it takes a while, but I see people like die very quickly after they retire. It's very mm-hmm. sad, but I see them decline in a lot of ways. Not everyone, but like you, you there's like case studies of people that like yeah. stop working and then they like in months, they deteriorate. I don't think the humans were ever meant to not work. I just think that I there's a lot of context to why we do what we do in our day to day. And I think it's because this is the way that our education has imposed what like business and work and life and success is. But if we break out of like the mold of like what 
work is, and then we start to move towards something that we actually enjoy doing, and there's very low risk steps to do it, then I do not believe that, like, I don't believe you ever have to retire. I think there's something you can be doing until the day you look at, um, look at uh, President Carter, who was like building homes for Habitat for Humanity up until like, I don't know, like months ago, and he's what, 98 or something like that. And now, yeah, now he's unfortunately probably going to pass very soon. But he's one of the oldest living presidents, and he always kept busy, and he always did work. Dude, he looked like he got punched in the eye from Mike Tyson in his prime. Yeah, I know, and he and he and he's had several like like health incidents. But I mean, the guy's like, I think it's ninety eight. Yeah, you're uh, totally right. I think the big, you don't stop. The the people that live long is they don't stop. Work is just a word, and that is where I think people get stuck, right? Yeah. And this is what I'm learning as well as again being at this event, being around super high level performing people. All of us are like, I'm working all the time. I'm working all the time. That is not bad. Who said no. working all the time is bad? Oh, you don't like work because you hate what you do, and you're you're not able to evolve, or you're you're getting in your own way of evolving and changing what that work means. So I totally agree. Mm. I'm not a rocket scientist or a brain surgeon or anything, but it's literally proven that says, I mean, your brain's just going to turn into mush if you don't have purpose. If there's not something that you're striving to do. I totally agree, man. What's a uh, What's your wifey do? What's she building right now? Um, so she's an she's an incredible marketer. Actually, she is one of the reasons why I wanted to build out a strong personal brand. So she has built um, an Instagram account and then turned into a company with her two sisters and one of their childhood best friends called My Therapist Says. So they're mm. like one of the largest Instagram meme accounts in the world. They have 8 million followers. They work with Airbnb and Netflix and For Samsung. Therapy? No, it's a humor account. Oh, humor. humor. It's it's called oh, My wow. Therapist Says because the the first iteration of it oh, was it, like, this is the stuff that my therapist tells me that I don't listen to. <laughs> and now it's like, so they're huge. Like a lot of people do know them and some people listening to this will probably follow them. Um, but they've built an entire business off of creating viral con like content for brands. Mm. So I saw what they did on social media and I was like, I need to do something for myself. Dude, boom, right there. That's a prime example of dishing down. Yeah. Yeah, they super niche down. Yeah, where's my phone? Oh, it's over there. I'll show it to you after. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. And we're so lucky. I think that's one thing that I oftentimes forget is like we are talking on a microphone and a camera. We could be out there building a skyscraper. Right? Yeah. Not that that's bad to do construction necessarily. In fact, I think most people should give it a shot one time. Uh, I did for six months and that was horrific. It's tough work, man. <laughs> but the, but we're just lucky the fact that we can post memes and that's work. Sure, there's way more to it than that comes with stresses than doing like construction. You're able to leave your job, whatever that may be. Then we're on 24-7, 365. But I think it's like a perspective thing to say, wait, I can talk to someone cool like you and we can just have a good time and share value. That's work. That work. is work. I mean, work is whatever you want it to be. I would argue that a lot of people... Like even in even in jobs like so I'm I'm I have a good friend who you know he he was in the military for a long period of time and now he's doing private security work and I keep telling him like bro there's so many like niche like security like training gun accounts that are killing it like absolutely killing it and you see them if you're if you if you go to one on TikTok you'll see like 50 because that's how TikTok works mm -hmm. so they're all making good money they all have massive amounts of sponsors massive amounts of endorsements and he's like, oh, I don't know if I should. I'm like, bro, you can be a content creator. Not to say that's the job that everybody needs, but I mean, if you are comfortable with it, there is a niche that you can go into where you can create content 
and you will get eyeballs and you'll get community and you have to be coming from a place of I want to teach people something and improve other people's lives because I really do believe that's how you become a good content creator. At the end of the day, you're just, you are the new media and and I think that this is good media when you're improving and teaching. Um, and there will be an audience for it. And once you have that audience, the money comes. Always the money comes because somebody wants to reach into that audience and individuals are so much better at this than companies are. And I don't think that's ever going to change because individuals are nimble and they're agile and they're fast and companies marketing sucks. And it's like <laughs> red tape and bullshit. So like there will always be a market for this. And now the barrier to entry to create is lower than ever. Mm. All the tools that I've ever used, I mean, they're all like, you could use no tools and just record with your phone or it's like they're, the, the tools to transcribe shit is like, you know, 50 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month. Like, it's so easy. Yeah. And and for those that are, you know, feeling different about turning the camera on or, or speaking, I totally get it. Like, I totally get it. Write that. a fucking newsletter. Exactly. The like, point. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Write a newsletter. Or, like, I know people that monetize Twitter. All they do is monetize Twitter. And they make, like, 10 to 15K a month off selling some, like, Gumroad ebook on Twitter. I don't even know if it's good, but I see them doing it. You're taking a shit, yeah. write a tweet. Yeah. You could probably get paid. Yeah. I'm dead serious. <laughs> it's it's silly, but then you people are like, oh, that's not real work. I'm like, it's work if you're helping somebody. What's the difference between somebody like a Gary V, who is who has taught so many people about marketing and entrepreneurship, versus a Harvard MBA? Mm. I would say that more people are going to get value from Gary V than a Harvard MBA. And people are going to get pissed off at that, but it's the truth. I would rather learn from, I would rather sit with Gary V for an entire semester. Fuck yeah. I'll be able to build an enormous audience. And we're seeing it right now. What do you pay a Harvard MBA? I ain't getting accepted, so yeah. I don't even know. Well, it's a lot. I don't know either. <laughs> I didn't go there either, but you, it's a lot of money. The point is, I think it's like a hundred and some per semester, whatever it You're is. Like, per technically, year. I know the answer. It's a hundred. I think I've looked it up a couple of times because it, it was just like a lot. <laughs> yeah. No, you're totally right, man. And, so and who uh, are you to say what's valuable for people? Who are you to say because somebody, you know, doesn't fly behind a by, behind a, a coat of arms or you know a, a board of trustees or a, like a list of um, uh, what's the word for when somebody's graduated? I can't remember. Um, the past graduates for the the organization just because they're not that doesn't alumni. yeah alumni <laughs> like it. just because you don't have an alumni list you can't teach people which is not true absolutely yeah I'm I'm very confident that everyone knows something it's it's uh, it's up to you to just explore how you want to bring that into the world and you, everyone has value to teach so exactly and the most successful people produce and the least successful people consume however you want to measure success that's just typically the case the producers produce. The yeah. consumers consume. And the last question I want to ask you, my man, is anything you want to share as we wrap up here? No, this is a lot of fun. This is a lot of fun. I like just going into random business shit. Like yeah. I can nerd it about this all day. No. I, I want to have you, you one again, dude. And definitely, uh, I think we're going to have an even better conversation. Off yeah, we will. So, <laughs> that pisses people off. They're going to be like, no, no, record that yeah. shit. No, that's it. You want to, you want to, I have one, I have one website, scottdeclary.com. All my shit's there. Cool. Check it out. How can they? Uh, how can they help you out? Um, if you like this show, uh, tweet at me and I'll retweet it with your favorite clip. Nice. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Appreciate you, bro. Pleasure. Yeah. Good shit. Awesome. You're actually cooler than I thought you were gonna be, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a fucking. <laughs> that's always refreshing. Yeah. Sorry, I was getting a little sidetracked because we got uh did your did your next dude come or what happened yeah i think he's pulling up now okay cool. so i was like trying to like consciously give you a question slash wrap it up slash eyeball it stop and cool thank you thank you uh we forgot